we weren't afraid of the failure, but we were very mindful that it could happen. But we became at peace with it. Go into it with the mindset of just showing movies, then that's probably not the right avenue, right? You know, the road less traveled, right? You know, you got to be willing to kind of take some risk. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro. I am joined by and have shamelessly stolen intro duties from uh, Russ Fisher, Editorial Director of Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. Russ is the guy with the podcast voice, so apologies to everyone listening in advance. I, I do not have that, uh, that good podcast voice that he does, but we're going to get through it. Also joining uh, joining myself and Russ is Daniel Luria, editor direct ed, editorial director of Box Office Pro. Hi guys. Keep the rolling R's there on the final edit because that's that's pretty good. You you might just win <laughs> an like honorary Spanish speaker uh, <laughs> award from me. That's it's, that's quality. It's the only part of the, like the the ten years of school Spanish I took that stuck. Unfortunately, you work for a French company and you have to do the opposite with your R's professionally here. Uh, uh, what is know, that? Bit oh. by bit. Uh, mm, no. Yeah, it, it's very, you know. Yeah. Over the past few podcast episodes, we've covered the rampant uncertainty that is currently facing the exhibition community uh, with studios and indeed entire movie chains pushing back their opening dates in response to a current rise in COVID-19 cases in the United States. Uh, In last week's podcast, uh, we discussed a shift in release dates, uh, notably here, Tenet and Mulan. Uh, Shortly after those release dates were changed, the top three exhibitors in North America shifted their own release schedules back by between two and three weeks. This week, AMC delayed their reopening in the U.S. to July 30th. Regal delayed theirs to the following day, July 31st. Cinemark uh, opened a couple movie theaters in the Dallas area already, uh, but they moved sort of the grand date when most of their theaters would be open back to July 24th. In the conversations uh, that we've had with various exhibition professionals over the past few months, and and, uh, Daniel and Russ, I'm not sure if, if you'd agree with me here, a sentiment that's come up has been that major circuits in the United States, though by no means in a rosy situation right now, are on the whole better situated to bounce back from this period of shutdown than independent and art house cinemas, which often operate on very slim margins. I know we're, we're all three here really big fans of our local independent and art house cinemas, and, and we want to see them survive this, but it is going to be tough. To that end, we wanted to hear from an independent exhibitor on this week's podcast. Our guest today is Anthony Fikes, co-founder of Next Act Cinema in Pikesville, Maryland, near Baltimore. Next Act Cinema opened up in March 2019 and had to close its doors almost exactly a year later in some seriously unlucky timing. Founded by Anthony Fikes and Robert Wright, Next Act is a dine-in boutique cinema. It's also one of a very small number of Black-owned cinemas in the United States. Anthony Fikes, who's joining us today, uh, you said you know of Next Act and four others in the entire country. Is that is that right? That's right. There's only um, there's a handful um, number of us that are open. You, you and Robert, I mean, when you started Next Act, you, you shared a love of film, but, but you didn't really have any exhibition experience, if I'm, if I'm correct there. What prompted you to open Next Act? 
it was a little bit of crazy, I think, you know, mixed in with the with the motivation of just wanting to fuel our kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Rob's a sound guy. And, you know, Rob built a pretty nice movie theater in his basement, I think, as as many people did back in the early 2000s. He's like, hey, I have this crazy idea of opening up a movie theater, movie theater, you know, AMC, Regal. Hello. And I'm like, why would we do that? And then he's like, no, Tony, he's like, you know, we're not trying to do it at, at that scale. We sat down. I, I, I remember this day at a local restaurant. I had French toast and Robert had pancakes. Again, these are all speculations, right? Because neither one of us knew exactly what we were doing until we actually actually got involved with, you know, the, the infrastructure of it. But, you know, that's kind of how it started. It was the breakfast foods that did it. It was the French toast <laughs> and he paid. <laughs> so you told me a story earlier that I thought was really interesting, which is that the movie that you opened up with was Captain Marvel. But then something happened when, when you screened Jordan Peele's Us that kind of changed your mission for Next Act or changed how you, you thought about what, what, what kind of theater you were running. Is, is that accurate? Could, could you explain about that a bit? So initially, you know, when we were doing the construction of the theater, because we basically took an old 1938 Art Deco theater. Um, that had been in Pikesville for obviously a number of years. It had gone through a couple of different hands um, and changing ownership. And so when we found the space, we weren't really sure how to build it, right, and structure it so that it would be inviting, I think, to the community. So we didn't know, we weren't actually trying to, you know, put any favors around any particular demographic, right? We obviously are two African-American men and we're in an Orthodox Jewish community in Pikesville. And so we were trying to figure out, you know, which movies actually resonate. But we knew that Captain Marvel was coming out. Now, we kind of landed on Captain Marvel because as in most construction, right, we had planned on being open two months prior to when Captain Marvel you know, just happened to come out. We knew that was going to probably be the biggest movie at that time. And so we said, you know what, let's just see what we got, here, right? Let's just open up. We kind of did a soft opening with the county. And then we did a press releases that we were going to be open but we didn't really honestly know how people were going to perceive us. And so Captain Marvel did well, I think, in the box office. And, you know, we we held our own. We held our own, I think, you know, for that those first two weeks when the movie came out against the AMCs and the Regal that our competitors in the area. And it wasn't, though, until the, the following movie when we tried to do a little bit more, not much more social media uh, marketing. And when Us came out, we couldn't get it, actually. We actually could not get Us. And so we actually had our movie booker basically complain and say, listen, you have a black owned theater, you know, showing the movie us. And, you know, why wouldn't they be able to get it? You know, without going into a you know, whole long out drama story, we got the movie literally probably about two days before it was going to be released. And so we had to do this mass push on it. And so when we did it, we saw kind of social media and our email starting to blow up. And they were like, oh, my God, like, you guys are a Black-owned theater. I have to come see the movie at your theater. I want to come support. And so while people were coming in, there was one guy, there was one guy, and, and I kid you not, he was our influencer because he put us on the map. I'll never forget this. He sat down. I, I remember him coming in because I actually was there that day and I took care of him. But he sat down. He, he came in with about three or four friends, and they took a video and what he said on social media was, we are watching us inside of us, basically, right? So when that got out, you saw like D.L. Hughley, Steve Harvey, you know, they called us to do an interview. So it was, 
it blew up literally from us and us surpassed Captain Marvel, you know, in terms of our, our box office or, you know, for that time um, when we opened. So it was, it was pretty amazing. Us really kind of put us on the map. I have a lot of questions about the whole us situation, but things being what they are, I, it just seems insane to me that y'all had to beg Universal or not beg, but that that Universal had to be corrected into giving you that movie. It wasn't Universal exactly. I'm sure it was probably that clearances question that always seems to get in the way of mm. entrepreneurs uh, in this business left and right. But I'm glad you guys ended up getting it. I know that's uh, it's uncomfortable in certainly in this industry. We were super nervous. And I think to your point is a valid one, right? Because we were new. You know, we did not have a track record, right, of success. And, and I think it was a limited release at the time. And so, you know, you know things kind of had to align for us um, to get it. But we performed very well, very, very well for that movie. So after the success of Us, you're looking at how programming a film tailored to your local audience can really build this sense of community. And it's something that, that Russ, Rebecca, and I have been uh, repeating ad nauseum here on the podcast is one of the things we miss the most about our local movie theaters is that sense of community that they play in our lives. I was just curious on how you go from opening a business, how you become this entrepreneur, and how you take that business and give it an identity. How did you integrate your theater into a part of your community? Yeah, yeah, you know what, that's a great question because, um, you know, we have to be very, very diligent around being thoughtful and how just one demographic, right? So Pikesville, you know, like I said, you know, it's that Jewish community, but it also has a mix, right, of Hispanic, it's black, white as well. And so we have to be sure that we're showing movies that appeal to a wide audience. I think one of the best ways to answer that, though, is because, you know, if Rob and I really kind of get stuck in trying to figure that out, we get into this, you know, kind of rabbit hole that it's like, you know, there's a ton of movies that are coming out and we never get the right one right. And so sometimes it's about luck, um, but it's also about the experiences I think that we actually provide. And I think that's so important right now when everyone is looking to like, you know, especially you know, on the COVID for, you know, watching a movie at home and whether or not is that the best route. And so what we do, for example, like Lion King, when we launched Lion King, one of the things that we said we were going to do was we were going to bring the experience to the community based upon the Lion Kings of when we grew up. And so we decorated the entire theater with Lion King paraphernalia, right? We had carpets. We had a jungle theme. We brought in Simba as a costume. Yeah, we created a boutique type of experience where the guests would feel part of the movie from the lobby to the big screen. So it wasn't just about the movie itself. And I think... We've done that for a lot of movies, for Hustlers, for example, for Harriet, any major movie we've always, for Shaft, for example, we did cosplay when we launched Shaft in Avengers. You know, we did cosplay when we launched Avengers. I think that's what is kind of making us stand out. And we're very focused on doing that because the community then doesn't just see us as a movie theater, right? It's a destination. They have an experience. They, they eat, they can drink, they can eat, but they also can take pictures with the owner, they can take pictures with the staff. And we decorated with them in mind. 
So those aspects of showmanship that I think have always made the difference in this industry of putting that extra effort in turning this into an experience. And based on that, looking at some of the programming that you guys have tackled, what role have Q&As or sort of discussions played in some of the films that you've programmed? Have you reached out to different folks in the community to have any sort of complimentary conversations around your programming? So we have and we haven't, right? I think that you know, we did a, a Q&A and a suggestion box, I think, when we first opened. And we saw, obviously, a favorites list of movies that they wanted to see, right? And so because, you know, Pikesville is, is an older community, too, we saw a lot of older movies that were wanting to get played, right? So, like, you know, Casablanca, you know, Gone with the Wind, right? And then we also saw, I want to see Harlem Nights and Coming to America, right? So what we did was we actually tried to show those movies initially when we first opened up. And I will say that they didn't actually, for us, it didn't get a lot of good customer feedback. And maybe, you know, one of the thoughts that Rob and I had was because, you know, these movies can be seen anytime, anywhere for free. And we did at a very, very low cost. But we, you know, for example, coming to America, we only had maybe the entire runtime that we showed it, maybe five guests. And so, you know, we tried that and we now feel comfortable with the mix of movies that we've been able to show, because we only have two auditoriums. And so we have to be very, very strategic around like which movies will appear to the masses. But also, um, because there's a lot of local talent. And I think to answer a little bit of your previous question, that also means a lot to the community, that you're shining light on the local talent in addition to the big Hollywood blockbusters that are being shown. So, you know, I had a question lined up that you kind of half just answered, which was, I think for a lot of people, when they think, oh, I'm going to open a movie theater, they think, oh, I'm going to show the old movies that I love, be a repertory theater rather than a first run. But it's really difficult to do that. Like you said, you have five people coming to show up for Coming to America, which is a movie that people really love. So, you know, as you go forward into the post-COVID scenario where we have for a while at least probably fewer movies to choose from what do you foresee your approach being when you're still trying to kind of curate for the community and for a diverse uh, multi-part community that you're a part of so i think that for any movie theater that tries to answer that question in today's times probably be giving you kind of a false answer, right? Because to be honest with you, we just don't know, right? Because things keep shifting, you know, for us. Um, you know, obviously, and you all know, right? Tenant and Mulan and, and all these movies are, are getting pushed back. So, so I don't know. We've thought about and we, we have guesses around what's, you know, what potentially is going to happen. But I think initially what we're going to have to do is just kind of you know, roll with whatever movie is out at the time and see what the uptake is. Because we're seeing more of the movies being pushed back to the, the second half of the year. And so one of the things that, that we're, we're talking to our booker is trying to get a lineup of movies that would appeal to, to a lot of our guests. And so we have we have that list. Um, but again, what Universal and some of these movie theaters were doing, movie houses were doing, they were actually putting together packages for us. This is what we think would the audience you know, would resonate. But again, you have to know your own local market, right? And figure out like, you know, if those packages of movies would actually work. The long short answer is I don't know how we're going to you know, think about what movies are going to be played until we actually get some movies out, right? And actually show them and see, see what the audience uptake is and how nervous or not nervous that, that they're going to be. One of the things that we're trying to do, though, is make them feel as comfortable as possible. So we've taken 
extra mitigation efforts in order to make them feel comfortable at our theater. Um, because again, we're smaller than a, you know, than a 200 or 250 auditorium. So I just don't know the, the answer to that question yet, but we do have some movies lined up that we're going to launch in conjunction with the big box office movies. So you spend this this year sort of, you know, building your identity, becoming part of the community, being championed by Black moviegoers and in turn championing Black-led films like Harriet, like The Banker, and then you close down <laughs> through no fault of your own. You're still a relatively new theater. It's not like you're one of those, like, you know, indie stalwarts that people have been going to for 25 years. What's your experience been over these past four months trying to maintain the relationships you've established? I mean, I, I know you had a, a Juneteenth celebration. What else have, have you been doing to maintain your place in the community? And do you think you've been able to do it as much as you would like to? Yeah, yeah. I got to take a, a deep breath on that one, right? Because I think that... In order to remain in business, right, you know, we have to know that that we are really dependent, right, upon viewership, right? And we're really dependent upon guests coming in, right? And we don't take that for granted. And I think that as ownership of a movie theater, business in general, we have to take the necessary steps to make sure that we're out front and be a part of the community, right? And so, for example, we have been closed for about three and a half months. And we knew that all the things that the country is going through right now, right, with the, you know, the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, right, you know, we're a part of that, right? And so one of the things that we have done and we're going to be doing, I think, in the future is making sure that we talk about our narratives. And we spoke about this, too, right, that The Banker was probably one of the best movies I've seen. And Top Gun is my number one movie of all time. But The Banker is like within my top five now. And The Banker was one of those movies that transcended um, because it actually talks about the history of, you know, how economically underserved communities have been targeted. And so when we launched a movie like The Banker and then we have like things like Juneteenth, right, that says that we have our eyes open to the things that are happening within our community. And Juneteenth is supposed to be a celebration. We got so many emails and we got so many thank yous after we did that. Even though it rained that day, we did some things inside of our lobby where we did a, a TV sitcom. where We played the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, played the Proud Family theme song, and we sang that with our audience. And then we did a comedy show because it was supposed to be a celebration. And I think you have to, as a small boutique theater, even a large theater, you have to be engaged with your customer base because they will follow you. And there is a dependence on, I think, on each other. And you depend on them, obviously, more. But during times like this, we kind of need each other, right? Because we have the issues that our community is facing, but then you have an entertainment. That's our mission. You were telling me that Next Act, like Harriet, earned more money than Avengers Endgame for y'all. Like, there's a real hunger for diversity in programming out there. And, and it sounds like you've managed to, to tap into it in a very real way. So this kind of the experience that I talked about the themes, right? So for Harriet, we did in our auditoriums, we did a underground railroad right as you walked into our auditorium. And so we had trees on each side of the walls. So as people were going into the auditorium before they got to their seat, we had a railroad track. And then we had like these banners as if they were going through the forest, right? And customers resonated with that. They were taking pictures and they really, really felt like they were a part of the movie. And Harriet literally surpassed Avengers, which was the biggest movie of the year, obviously, and ticket sales for us because we had groups, you know, you know obviously, you know, Harriet was born in Maryland, um, but we had groups that were renting the theater out 
multiple times, multiple times. And I think also it has to be said that you actually put in the time to build this experience around the programming. I think it's important for the exhibitor to value their product they're putting on the screen and dedicate these marketing campaigns uh, for these films. It's a very ingenious way to, as you mentioned it, Anthony, engage with your audience. It's interesting and, and I think a bit frustrating, at least on my end here, sort of tracking the industry, how we end up hearing a lot of, oh, there aren't enough Latin American or African American or even female directors or films out there being played, when in reality, the content does exist. The question is, who's programming it? Uh, what are we doing in terms of amplifying these voices, of actually dedicating the time to market what's already there and hopefully open the door uh, to other artists coming in? It's something that an entrepreneur in, in this industry, uh, Moctezuma Esparza, the founder of Maya Cinemas, described as one of his main reasons to go into exhibition. He grew up in a low-income Latin American neighborhood in the United States with movie theaters all around him. But as he got older, those neighborhoods lost their theaters. And in turn, what we've seen over the last 50, 60 years in the United States, a lot of U.S.-born Latin American stars no longer exist. They don't exist in the way they did in the 1950s, 1940s, the 1960s. I think it's something we do have to bring up in the United States. While there are African-American stars and a star system established, this industry, even though it did have many African-American exhibitors before theaters were integrated, after integration, ugh, I'm not sure how well that integration went through. Do you think there are enough venues to sort of promote and play the existing diverse lineups that have worked for you today? So, so no. And, you know, I obviously, you know, don't want to necessarily be, you know, this, you know, you know Pollyanna because I'm, you know, I believe in movies, right? Movies are magic to me, right? But I think to your point, you know, there were a ton of, you know, minority owned back in, you know, between like 1905, 1950s, right? There were a ton. But then a lot of that has changed, right? And a lot of movie theaters, you know, want to be in, they don't want to be in um, economically underserved communities, right? Because you know, they want to be a part of, you know, whether it's restaurants and they're bustling and thriving communities. Let's take, you know, Compton, right? Let's take, you know, parts of Alabama or, you know, um, Atlanta. Atlanta. Actually, Atlanta's doing well, but Alabama, for example, huge population of minorities, right? And they have like one movie theater. It's not even, you know, it's owned by the state, I believe, right? And so there's not enough representation. And you know, African-Americans and Hispanics, for example, you know, they're huge, huge movie goers. And so one of the things I talked to today, I, I talked to, I was talking to someone that, you know, is really big around promoting small business. And what I said to him, I said that, you know, we almost need to kind of create this ecosystem, right? Where, you know, obviously Tyler Perry created this, you know, Tyler Perry Studios, um, which is going to be amazing, but those movies need to be shown somewhere, right? And so we do need to invest I think in you know local boutique kind of theaters that can curate and that can bring out these narratives to their audience. But if we don't have that, then you get things like, for example, the banker was only showed in two theaters in Maryland. Why? Right? Why? So there's not enough of us. And, and I think that um, no one's saying anything. I think you know, when, when Magic Johnson kind of bailed out too, you know, there's this thought that it's not, you know, it's not profitable, it's, it's not viable. What I'll say. Next Tech Cinema, even in our first year, we were doing very well before COVID hit. And obviously, you know, we bootstrapped ourselves and we actually didn't have access to capital to actually, you know, open up the theater. We had to fund it ourselves. And I think, you know, you're finding that that has to happen, but, but we need 
more support in order to build these theaters, which are quite expensive, but we need more support. And I think, you know, people speaking out like Ava um, DuVernay in 2018, she asked that exact same question, but nothing's happened since then, right? We still only have five. I have two questions, actually. Let's start this way. So there are five Black-owned cinemas in the U.S., which makes you, by default, and and also because of your hard work, I don't want to say by default, like your work and the consideration with which you approach your community and your programming makes you a leader in this space, which is great. That being said, what sort of advice would you give to other people who wanted to do what you've done in their own communities? Would you recommend that they do it at all, given the difficulties that you faced? So I think Rob and I, we came to peace with it, I think, very early on, that this was kind of going to work, right? And, and, and if it didn't, if it didn't, then, you know, we weren't afraid of the failure, but we were very, very mindful that it could happen. But we became at peace with it. And I would say that go into it with the mindset of just showing movies, then that's probably not the right avenue, right? You know, the road less traveled, right? You know, you got to be willing to kind of take some risk, right? Um, with it, you know, knowing that it potentially could fail. I don't know if I should be saying that, but, but that's kind of how we went into it, right? Because what that did for us was that we made sure that we didn't, if that makes sense, right? Because we knew the potential for failure was there, it made us work even harder, right? Because the community came around and said to us, we need you around, right? Um, and so that kind of fueled us a little bit. And so, yes, there are communities that need this. Yes, I would say it takes time. And I think, yes, you need a partner that kind of, I think, understands both sides of the equation because, again, the audiovisual sound is very important. Contracts for these studios, Universal, Disney, you know, writing them up, reading these contracts, those things are, are also very important. But then making sure that you have your ear to the ground, understanding, you know, what your local market is demanding to see, but also being able to pivot, right? Because like I said, the old movies didn't work for us and, and we thought that they would because we have an older community in Pikesville, but they just didn't. And so what we found was that people were coming from outside of Pikesville. There's one other thing I'm curious about. So for theaters that work as repertory theaters, there's a, an, there are organizations like Art House Convergence, or you know there are a handful of groups or organizations that theoretically might be able to help a cinema like yours through some of the early hurdles. But do any of those things apply to you? And are there any existing groups that you know of that could help, that could have helped you or that could help other people who want to do the same thing that you've done? You know what, that good question, good question. Um, because I would have loved, right, to have like a mentorship or a roadmap, <laughs> right? So we didn't get into a lot of the issues, you know, you know, that we did, I think, early on. I don't know if any kind of mission-driven, you know, kind of like, you know, our, our art house convergence. I don't know of any, you know, mission-driven um, media exhibition, you know, places that, that actually could help, it could have helped us. We had to qualify whether or not our theater would be open. And we looked at a number of things, right? You know, we looked at the community, we, you know, we looked at the space, we obviously you know, looked at the finances. But once we tapped into the bank and kind of the bank told us no, we kind of had to figure it out, uh, figure it out ourselves. And Rob and I actually have been thinking about writing something that would help the next kind of Rob and Tony, right? Or the next Nectar Cinema 
in a different space because we actually, when we first opened up, we had someone that said, hey, are you guys going to franchise in other cities? We weren't ready yet. Right? We, we didn't know enough. And so I think we could do that. But to answer your question, I don't know of anyone in the local area that could have helped us out. And, and we reached out. I'll say this. So the people that helped us a lot, too, were like church folks. Right. Because, you know, churches, they have audio visual. So they so they came in. So, so we use a lot of their expertise to get the, the, the technical things right. But I don't know. I, I, you know, there wasn't a whole lot, I think. And, and maybe we didn't. I'm not saying they're not out there, but, but we didn't tap into them. It's such an awful catch 22. I mean, just just from a moviegoers perspective, knowing that this industry is, is completely lagging in diversity, you, you want to be like, oh, no, you support your local businesses. You, you support support your uh, local black films, your local black artists, your local black businesses, like Daniel was speaking to, uh, elevating the voices that are already there. But you probably don't live near a black owned movie theater if you're in the United States. You probably don't live in the same state as one. Uh, so on June 15th, Next Act, uh, you launched a fundraiser. Uh, you can find that if you go to fundblackfounders.com one word, and then uh, search for Next Act Cinema, it'll pop up. So, so Anthony, could you speak to kind of the thought that went into launching that fundraiser and uh, what the results have been in, in the first couple of weeks? Yeah, so so we, if, if I just, in full transparency, we, we were nervous about doing it and we were extremely hesitant to do that. We didn't want to seem, you know, like we were begging or we didn't want to seem like we were super needy. Um, and, and so we we just didn't know what the perception was going to be of Next Act Cinema, you know, if we launched this crowd kind of crowdfunding campaign. And we did it only because a lot of our guests have been asking us, how can we support? And so Rob and I said, okay, look, you no, know, this is going on for a lot longer than we expected it, and so we need to be we need to be here. And I think that's what it came down to is that we need to survive this. And so what we did was we said, okay, you know, let's launch this, but let's not launch it on like a GoFundMe, right? You know, let's see if whether or not there's there's a kind of a, a black crowdfunding um, platform that we can do it on, right? You know, again, it's a part of that ecosystem, right? And so lo and behold, there was a young woman that started it in January. And so she only had a couple of um, businesses that, that were on there at the time, and we started working with her. And um, we, we, you know, we put our information out, we did a video and we decided to launch it out to the community and kind of just just see, you know, you know, see what we got. Right. And the response is, you know, in, in my mind, you know, um, we have a, a goal and, and, and we're about 15 percent there. But, you know, I'm just I'm just happy even at one percent, you know, only because that just showed showed us that, you know, people were really interested in keeping Next Act Cinema around. So, so the campaign has been doing very, very well. We still have people donating um, to this day. We actually got two grants um, outside of the campaign, you know, because of, of the mission, right? Um, and they believe in us. So it's been going very well. The community has been super supportive. We got calls, like I said, emails. And yeah, we, we're, we're really proud, um, you know, kind of, you know, the response that we've gotten from that. I love to see that you went with someone other than GoFundMe, you know, that you're keeping your mission going forward by supporting other businesses who are, uh, you know, trying to start their own thing in the same way that you did. Right. And and again, for anyone who missed it the first time, that's fundblackfounders.com and search for Next Act Cinema. And and, uh, and please do donate if, if you're in a 
position to do so. I, I know these are these are tough times for a lot of people, but um, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I speak for for Daniel Daniel and Russ as well when I say it, it sounds like you know you're doing really important work and. I just want to go to your cinema one of these days when cinemas are a thing again. When are we taking a road trip, Rebecca? It's not going to be. Well, it's not that far. Know, the question is, when when will we be allowed to take the road trip? Now that twenty twenty three. Yeah. Anthony, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to speak with us. I yeah, I, uh, I really really appreciate it, and it was great to hear your your insight. Uh, we love our independent movie theaters, and uh, we talk a lot about the AMC's and the Regals, but we do love the uh, we love our art houses. We love our indies, yeah. And uh, let us know anything you need, obviously, on, on, on our end. This is obviously back to off the record real fast. Um, in terms of associations and, and resources, uh, we're quite close with the Independent Cinema Alliance, the Cinema Buying Group, uh, all these alphabet soups of organizations. Anything that we can help, more than happy to, to make a phone call and, and, and help get that rolling along. No, and, and let me just say, hey, I, I think thank you all. Thank you know, thank you all for this. I think for you know this platform and being able to speak. You know, I think you know to your point, the independent boutique theaters they kind of get missed a little bit, you know, oftentimes. You know, amongst the conglomerate. So you know, thanks for putting a kind of a, a voice, you know, to this. Um, it, it's humbling, and, and we really appreciate it. And I know that everyone else does as well. That, that you're getting this these factoids out because it, it matters, right? You know these. Independent movie theaters also are, are just as important, right? So I, I really appreciate you all. Thanks for giving us the time. This has been really awesome. Uh, it's been great listening to you. 